love hearing stories of life that have been changed by living Christ. One of my favorite kind of services. You know, Jesus was presented in the temple when he was eight days of age. And then when he reached the age in the Jewish society where he would have standing as a 30-year-old male, he was baptized. And as he came up out of the water, God the Father said, this is my son, and I'm well pleased with him. And when people follow Jesus in the waters of baptism and say, I'm on team Jesus and I'm all in, the Father smiles on that. This is good. Let's pray. Father, as we bow now and look at your word, how we invite you to speak as only you can in those very personal and intimate ways, in ways that are not vague, in ways that, like that woman that responded to Barb and brought her a Bible because you pointed her to do that. That was no accident. That wasn't some luck because there's no such thing as luck. You directed. Now, would you speak into our life from your word in similar manner. And so we offer ourselves now to hear from you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have you ever noticed how often you talk about, or that you're always ready to talk about, what you love? What do math and muffins have in common? What does math, arithmetic, math, and muffins have in common? He was 14 years old. He'd been born and raised in Canada, but for a number of years, his dad had gotten a job over in Europe, and he moved to Europe and lived there for a number of years. And at the age of 14, his dad took another job back in Canada, and he came and the family settled in Edmonton, Alberta. His first day in his new school, he went and sat down in the lunchroom. And from across the lunchroom walked another young guy his age and came up to him and said, you're new here, aren't you? Welcome. It's good to have you here. And then the guy said to him, you know, I'm in your math class and I noticed you were having a few struggles with math. I'm pretty good at math. Would you like me to help you? And that launched a friendship that's lasted a lifetime. Shortly after that friendship launched, the math guy invited his new friend to come with him to the youth group at Southgate Alliance Church at Edmonton. Sometime after that, as the friendship continued to grow, they went to summer camp together to a place called Camp Nakaman, just north of Edmonton. And that, at that camp, the 14-year-old got down on his knees and received Jesus as personal Savior and Lord. When he was in the lunchroom that day, a woman named Dolores noticed that a new family had moved in down the street. Actually, this young man's family that had just moved back from Europe. Dolores worked up her courage 
He bakes some fresh muffins. He walked down the street. He knocked on the door, cold called that door. The young guy's mom came to the door. And Dolores said to her, you know, I noticed your family just moved into the neighborhood. And so I thought I'd bake you some, new, some fresh muffins and just come and welcome you to the neighborhood. The lady invited her in. That began a friendship. Later, that young guy's mom got down on her knees and received Jesus as her personal Savior and Lord. Math and muffins. Two people using their gifts, acting in the way that God created them to be. God doesn't expect you to be something you're not. He's gifted you. And they made a human connection. One guy threw math, the other one threw muffins. And in some senses, they were just practicing simple hospitality. But friendships were launched, and eventually Jesus changed two lives. That young 14-year-old has been used by God probably to save thousands of people. God wants to use you. And he has uniquely created you to touch people's lives. We've talked about this in this little series. If you're like Paul, be like Paul. You're more rational and analytical and you can explain things and can go back and forth with people. If you're not like Paul, don't feel bad about that at all. Maybe you're more like Matthew. Maybe you're more like Dorcas, like uh, Dorothea or Dorothy was. In this series, we're talking about good news. We talked in the first week about good news what? As Jesus recruited his team in Mark chapter 1, he said to all his followers, he said, listen, I want you to be very clear about what the mission is. I want to tell you what I'm recruiting you to. You're going to be fishers of men. And three times in two verses, he talks about being fishers of men, about sharing the good news with people. And he said, this is what the mission is. Last week, we talked about the motivation behind the good news. And we talked about the why. Because if you don't know the why, you're going to be tempted to quit when you consider the time and the effort it typically takes to bring a person to Christ. Because in May, sometimes it's a sprint, but more and more and more in our culture, it's a marathon. And if you don't understand the why, you'll quit. Especially when it gets a little painful, which it can at times. All through this series, we've talked about this being very natural, very organic, based on how God has created you to be. And so I've used this image of the coffee cups. It's like you're, you're sitting in your favorite coffee shop, whether it's one of these threes or uh, the coffee mug that represents being in your home or at work. You're sitting with your friend or your relative or a neighbor or something, and quite naturally, as the opportunity presents itself, you have a discussion with them about the good news of Jesus. It means more than simply being a good person, of reflecting Christ's values. Sometimes people think, all I have to do is reflect Jesus well, and somehow they'll figure it out. 
No, to borrow someone's term from the church here, we need to be deliberate, need to be strategic in sharing the good news. This is what the call of Jesus is on our life. And so we've talked in previous messages about a number of approaches or techniques for how to do that, but let's learn today from Jesus how he did it. So if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to the fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 4. And this is a passage I've preached on before, but I approached it through what does real worship look like. Today we're going to talk about how Jesus has a spiritual conversation with someone outside the family of God. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. We're going to look at some principles and some strategies that Jesus used. And so beginning in verse 3, it says, When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to the Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, understand that at that time in history, Jewish people did not willingly pass through Samaria. They would avoid it unless they absolutely had to because they viewed Samaritan people as unclean. These two people groups did not like each other. And so the first principle Jesus practiced that we have to be aware of is that we have to go out of our way to make social contact with the people outside the faith. Just like the math guy did when he walked across the lunchroom. Just like Dolores the muffin lady did when she walked down the street. And it's absolutely good to have Christian friends, but we can become totally submerged in the Christian subculture. And to use a popular or perhaps actually maybe really unpopular term, we can quarantine the good news. Then Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman, beginning in verse 4. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So that's noon in their culture. The sixth hour is noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And he strikes up a conversation about a natural, normal, everyday, kind of benign thing water. This is the second strategy he employs, and it's quite simple. Just ask questions and engage in normal conversation. Michael Ramson writes this, I've learned a radical, revolutionary new methodology for sharing my faith. It's called talking to people. Talking to people. And as you do this, you begin by listening carefully first. This is very hard for some of us. We like to talk. We like to be the center of attention. Listen carefully first. Asking just very natural questions about their job, the things people like to talk about, their job, their background, their family. And you're praying as you have the conversation. You're watching their demeanor. You're watching the temperature of the conversation. Are they open to this conversation? Are they pulling back? Is it appropriate to keep pushing forward or should you slow down? And again, last week, we talked about the short game and the long game. 
And sometimes the short game is very effective. This passage is an example of a short game approach. But more and more and more in our culture, the long game needs to be implored. So it's natural, and it's not forced. And you actually can just enjoy the conversation. Remember as you're doing this, God is never asking us to bring someone to Christ. He does all that. That's totally in his court. The book of John says that he draws them. He points them to Christ. He convicts them of their sin. It says they are born of the Spirit. He does all that. All we do, and it's an incredible privilege to do this, is to let him direct the conversation. We say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm willing to do it. He directs the conversation. So remember this little expression someone came up with, pray as you listen and listen as you pray. Make the decision, especially initially, to limit your own voice and listen carefully to what they say, and again I say, this is hard for some of us, because we like to talk. Pray for direction. Pray for boldness. I'll bet you the math guy and the muffin lady did those things before they made that walk down the street or across the room. Rico Tysus said this, we preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. Well, she's shocked that he would speak to her. So she says in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus reaches across huge barriers by doing this. He reaches across the racial barrier, against the cult- across the cultural barrier, across the gender barrier, because in that era, it was not normal for a Jewish male to speak to a female. Why does Jesus do this? He hadn't done anything wrong, but he is reaching across and going countercultural in a huge way, which he consistently did in his life. And there would have been many people that would condemn him for what he did. If you read later in the story, the disciples come back and they're shocked that he's talking to her. Why would he risk the condemnation of other people and people going, how dare you do something like that? I say this to you again. It's because lost people matter to Jesus. Lost people matter to Jesus. And so he reaches across these barriers. Gabe Lyons has said this, followers of Christ in a pluralistic society must be willing and able to engage those that they disagree with in constructive conversations. How can we love someone we don't know or understand? So the conversation begins to evolve with this woman, and it would with someone that you're in contact with. At some point, This is the third principle. You turn the conversation from the secular to the spiritual. You make a choice to turn the conversation from the secular to the spiritual. Sometimes we do this very quickly. Like I said, the short game. If God prompts you to do that, you do that. Sometimes it's over the longer term. Depends on how they're reacting to you. 
I talked last week about a couple of ideas about how to do this. Let me reiterate. If you're less like a Paul and you're more like a Matthew, Matthew, when he came to faith in Christ, he didn't start to do things that Paul did. Instead, he invited all his friends over to his house, had a big party, and invited Jesus to speak. And the modern-day equivalent of that is Alpha. You've seen it advertised on the screen. We've been talking about it. Alpha is starting the week right after Easter. It's six Monday nights. You can do it online or in person. Brian and Katrina are leading this. Amethyst has put together these really cool little invitations you can use. They're out on the info desk there. And you could go to a friend and say, you know, would you be interested in coming with this to me? And it's like a 20 or 25-minute video. It's six times together. And it's going to be all about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why. And then based out of your relationship, you just have a conversation with them about what they hear, about questions they have, about things maybe they disagree with. And you move them or point them to Jesus in that way. I also said last week, let me emphasize this and amplify it a little bit this morning. Every Christian, I'm deeply convinced of this, every Christian needs to be ready on a moment's notice. Pray to die or to tell their story. Because when you're open to this stuff and you say, Jesus, if you want to use me, I'm open. Sometimes the opportunities just come. And you're just doing whatever you're doing. And all of a sudden, the person that's been watching you closer than you can ever imagine will just say to you one day something like this. You know, I've noticed that there's something different about you. And I can't quite put my finger on it. What is it? And at that moment you have the opportunity to say something like this to them. Well, you know, it's really, it's really more about what God's done in me. And if you have three or four minutes, I, I could tell you what he's done in me. And if you have any questions, I'd, I'd be happy to respond. And, and you, you make the invitation. And if they want to hear, let me give you a very short outline that you can use. And I encourage you to work on this and get this ready. You know, I've literally spoke in front of groups of people thousands of times in my life. I virtually never go in unprepared. I've prepared carefully. I've practiced often more than once. Because it's important. And so a very brief outline in which you can tell your story in three or four minutes is, You talk briefly about what your life was like before Jesus. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be wild and talk about all this. Just very briefly about it. And then talk secondly about how you came to faith in Christ. And I've listened to hundreds of testimonies in my life. This is typically the point that's the weakest. We get very vague. And you have to remember, they know nothing about God typically. Nothing. And so, as specifically as you truthfully can, just say, you know, something like this, whatever the truth is, just say, you know, I I came to realize that I'd made choices in my life that just separated me from God. And the the Bible calls those things sin. And I realized 
there's nothing I can do about that. I can't pay for this myself. I can't compensate. And I, I learned this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead so that he could offer me forgiveness based on what he did for me. And so I came to this place in my life where I owned my stuff and I asked him to forgive me based on what he did for me. And I began a relationship where he forgave me, he saved me, and then I just surrendered, I just gave him my life. And he became the one in charge and led my life. The third point is, what's your life been like since that? You don't have to do anything but tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Talk about the, the things where God stepped into your life, where maybe he's given you purpose or direction or he's done this or that. And if there's been some bumpy things or difficult things, you can be totally honest about that because this is your story. And then if they're open, you have a discussion with them after that. Most people will give you three to four minutes. Maybe another approach is to just, depending on who the person is, um, you just walk them through a couple of verses in Romans and you let them read the verses so that you know, they know you're not making this stuff up. And so if you just let them read the verses and then just let them ask questions, so you start at Romans 3.23 and then you go to Romans 6.23 and then you look at Romans 5 verses 1 and 8 and then you look at Romans 10 9 to 13. If you walk slowly and deliberately through those verses, the whole story of Jesus, all the stuff I've just talked to you about, it's there. You can just walk them through. Or you can use the approach that you're most comfortable with, the one you're gifted with, the one God shows you to do. Jesus, what he does is he uses thirst in this passage as a spiritual metaphor. And he does it to pique her interest. Not unlike what I did, what I said at the beginning. How is it that math and muffins are related? And I saw a bunch of people look at me with this, what, what's he talking about? I, I'm interested in that. Jesus uses thirst as a spiritual metaphor to pique her interest. And he begins doing this in verse 10. Jesus answered you, if you knew the gift of God and what it is that he asks you and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. Everyone, Jesus is identifying something that every human being has in common. We're thirsty. Yeah, we're thirsty for physical water. But there's also a thirst that God has built into every human life. We're thirsty for purpose. We're thirsty for significance. We're thirsty for belonging. And we're thirsty for love. 
You know, Madonna was asked once, if your, book, if your life was put in a book, what would you title it? And here's what she responded to the reporter. Madonna, a lonely life. And the reporter goes, a lonely life? What are you talking about? Everybody knows you. You're incredibly successful. You've got way more money than you could ever spend. What do you mean by that? And here was her answer. Just listen to this answer. She said this, all I ever wanted was not for everyone to know me, but for someone to love me. Someone to love me. Does Christianity speak to that thirst of the human life? It absolutely does. Absolutely does. Jesus keeps talking. She says, sir, give me this water, verse 15, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She doesn't quite get it yet, okay? She's interested, but she doesn't quite get it. Then listen to what Jesus does. He says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You know, sometimes, and I've heard people teach this way, they'll say stuff like this. They'll say, well, you know, when you're sharing the good news of Jesus with people, don't draw attention to sin. Don't draw, and especially don't draw attention to the fact that they are sinful people and they need to be forgiven. It'll get uncomfortable, it'll get, un, it'll get awkward, and they'll just figure that stuff out later. As I read a passage like this, it's pretty apparent to me that Jesus didn't attend that class. It's not the first thing he talks to her about, but when the moment is right... He puts his finger right on the thing that she's been using to try and satisfy her spiritual thirst. You're looking for love. You're looking for acceptance. You're looking for community. But in all the wrong places. He addresses it very directly. And yet, with love. And we can hide from other people We can hide from ourselves, but we can't hide from the Spirit of God. Now, right away, she begins to try and deflect, which is prototypical, by raising an objection to Christianity. This is the fourth thing. Be prepared for questions or objections. It typically comes. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. What he means by that is don't get into an argument. In my experience, there's typically 10 or maybe 12 questions that just get asked over and over again. So they might say something like this to you, well, I've heard this about God, blah, blah, blah. And you say something like this to them, well, why don't, you, why don't you tell me about the God that you don't have a lot of respect for? And as they describe him, you might be able to say, you're likely going to be able to say something like this, well, I don't believe in that God either. Because they're 
basing it on a whole series of information and assumptions that just aren't true. Or they might object to the Bible. Typically, they've never read it. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I had this very conversation with someone. And I just sort of said to them, you know, here's a Bible. Would you, would you be willing to read it? And, and then we could talk and we could just discuss your concerns. Now, they never came back, but I tried. When they ask something and you don't know, and if that's what's kind of scaring you a little bit, here's a great answer. I don't know. I don't know. It shows honesty and it shows humility. You say, I don't know. But if you bear with me, I'll go out and try and find an answer to your question. That's a great question. Do not get into an argument with them. I'm going to jump ahead to the end of the text here, verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am here. He, am he. Here's the last strategy. The conversation is not over until you've gotten to the person of Christ. Never forget that. He's the key here. Point them to Jesus. Point them to the cross. He is what, even, though, even if they don't understand it, even if they don't know what they're looking for, he is what their soul is deeply thirsty for. Point them to Jesus. Point them to the cross. I want to remind you one more time of the exercise I've talked to you about two times now. This is the third time. It's the exercise of the five boxes. It's a great one. You take a sheet you put five boxes on it. You entitle it family or friends or neighbors or co-workers or the mystery box. And that's just unexpected people God brings across your path. And then pray and say, God, is there a name or names you want me to put in one or more of these boxes? And then pray for that as God reveals that name or names. Pray for that person by name that they would come to faith in Christ. And then pray the courageous prayer to say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever you want or to say whatever you want me to say to point them to Jesus. Even if it's a bit painful, and it can be painful at times to do this. It takes courage to do this. Just give me a chance, Lord. Give me a chance. Have you ever noticed how often we talk about or that we're always willing to talk about what we love? 